right, we're getting in our seats. We're getting our minds back on track to this series we've started in the book of Titus. We're grabbing our Bibles, however you, uh, however you view your Bible, whether through electronics or actual physical paper. Let's open it up to the book of Titus. And as you're going, as you're opening, I want to remind you of our series theme, Calibrated. Calibrated, that word that's talking about things being set to a standard. Titus being told by Paul that he was left on the island of Crete to, in a sense, calibrate the churches to the standard that I've given you and the standard that was given to him by Jesus Christ himself concerning holiness, truth, righteousness, salvation, all encompassing the trustworthy truth which accords with godliness that he says or in another word, the gospel, the full message. Commit yourselves to teaching this on the island of Crete and calibrate the churches. Now, I wanna just turn your eyes to the screen and I have a video for you that will help us understand calibration a little bit better again. I work in the pharmacy automation industry and one of our company products is called IV Prep. The product is designed for pharmacists and pharmacy techs to produce safe, compounded IV medications for patients to receive primarily while in an inpatient stay or when receiving chemotherapy treatment. The equipment has two primary components, a camera for taking pictures in each step of the compounding recipe and a very sensitive scale for weighing the medications for each step to ensure they are not overdosed or underdosed. The scale is highly sensitive and accurate to one hundredth of a gram ensuring the medication quantity meets the needs of the compounded recipe. It's imperative that the scales are accurate or it could be life-threatening. The scales stay accurate by the source of truth, the calibration weights which are created with exacting standards and compared with an even more accurate system. Without calibrating these scales as prescribed, the units may not function accurately so comparing to the source of truth, the calibration weights is pivotal. Thank you, Steve. Did you catch that? These scales have to be calibrated and can be calibrated to the hundredth of a gram to ensure not underdosed or overdosed medication, which he said, if it's not calibrated properly and that medication goes out, life-threatening. You know, I think about this sometimes, that God gives us always this illustration of the lesser to the greater. He gives us the physical world. He gives us hunger. He gives us an experience on planet Earth so we can understand that they are shadows and they're the lesser illustration that points to the greater. In spiritual sense, if God's church, which is the, the buttress the, of truth, that it's the organism that God's left on planet to be light, to shine the hope of the gospel, to draw people in so that they can receive salvation and be saved, it would then be logical to conclude that if God's church is not calibrated to the standard of Christ, then it becomes life-threatening to the world around us that's stuck in darkness if the church itself is stuck in that same darkness. No hope is seen, no hope is granted. So this weighs into the reality of the urgency of the things that Paul would speak to Titus about. And what have we been speaking about? We're talking about calibrated, a church that works. And I want to remind you of something we're going to try to say every week. We are a church that works and strives to be a church that works, not for salvation, but what? Oh, because of salvation. Let's try that again. We are a church that works, not for salvation, but because 
of the salvation that God has already given his people. The work has already been done on your behalf. And so what pours out of us is a heart of gratitude and motivation and passion and love because of what God has already done for us. We're not waiting for a time for us to be glad that God has been good to us. He already has. And so that's a different type of heart that bubbles over with a desire to want to live for him versus a heart that's like, man, I have to live for him if I want him to love me and to save me. No, he's done the work and we respond in such a way. So where have we been? The last few weeks we've been talking about calibrated leadership, haven't we? A calibrated church starts with calibrated leadership. And I want to remind you of where we were last week. So we got this next slide. It was the very last point of last week. Paul told Titus, this is why I left you on Crete so that you might put what remained into order. If you remember, Paul and Titus spent time on Crete, saw the state of the churches. They were, they were there nonetheless. The gospel was, was there, but there was a lot of weeds you had to work through because the people were lacking leadership. They were lacking pastors. And so Paul said, I've, I have left you there to put what remained into order and to plant or to establish elders in each of the towns where there are churches. And because a calibrated church starts with calibrated leadership, God's order elders who will be examples of the gospel at work in their life. So when they get up and they speak from the trustworthy word of God, which accords with godliness, their life shows that the word that they've believed does in fact accord with godliness because their life, from what do we see? Their reputation, their home life, their character, their priorities, all are examples for the people of God. A great calling and a great responsibility to be examples for the people who are watching. These are the type of leaders, elders that churches need. But the last point was a little different. The last point we ended with this, and we didn't get to go, get it, we didn't get to go into it because we didn't go into it today. My pastors should be able to calibrate God's church. Look down at verse nine with me. It says this, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. The duty of the pastor, one, his priority is this, This is what he's focused on. This is what he's dedicating his life to. This is what he's devoting his time to. This is what he's laboring over is this. So that he can give good instruction in sound doctrine. That word sound, here's another way to think about it. Healthy, healthy. Think in terms of food. When something's not healthy, what it does to your body. If the doctrine you're getting is not healthy, what does it do to your soul? lesser to the greater but it's not just giving it it's also dealing with the wrong doctrine that has already been there needs to be dealt with and he says this but also able to rebuke or reprove those who contradict it so I want you to see this on the screen it's the next slide here God has given you pastors to do two things to feed you sound doctrine and to protect you from bad doctrine. 
And this is one of these moments where if you'd spend too much time thinking about it, like your kids will ask you the why questions that are the good ones. Like, why did Adam and Eve, did, did, why did they have to eat? Why was their garden? Why was their food? Why do we have to eat now? Why, why does our bodies work the way God purposely has created his creation in a very purposeful way and all of it has a spiritual lesson and, and it's pointing to something. And this idea of eating and food in scripture is very important. Jesus talked about, I give you food that you'll never hunger again. You're thirsty, I give you water. Well, you'll never thirst again. I give you life experiences. And so you can understand how important they are in life. Something like food and water, you die very quickly if you do not have it. And you deteriorate very quickly if you get the wrong type of stuff. So that when I start talking to you about the spiritual stomach, the spiritual soul, I start talking about things according to doctrine that's healthy or bad, you can know just how important it is. And if it's important in your life, it's definitely going to be important in your soul. Pastors have the duty and the responsibility to feed. Peter was told by Jesus to feed his sheep. What did Paul say here? I have been entrusted with the preaching. It's something that God has given me and he's trusting me with it and I must give it. Pastors must feed the body, feed the sheep, give instruction. But where our attention's going to go today is on this final thing, rebuking those who contradict it. So let's take a look. We're gonna talk about false teachers today. We're going away from the example of a calibrated leader and going into what their calibrating work is. And one of the first things Paul's going to tell them after his introduction is that he has to first deal with the bad doctrine, deal with the false teachers, deal with the people who are in all of these churches that were basically cancerous in their teaching to families and to the church. But you know what? We're going to do an exercise. We're going to move together in the Bible. We're going to turn to a few scriptures. So turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 4. And I'm turning with you. Um, I'm making myself have to find it as well. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go to verse 8. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore, it says, when he, talking about a Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Be thinking about the fact that Jesus, he left earth, but he gave you gifts. And saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And here's what he gave. Here's the gifts that Jesus gave. He gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And those last two words, pastor, teacher. I'll admit, it feels awkward to get up here and use a verse like this and say to you that your pastors are a gift to you. But this is what the scripture's saying. And the reason they're a gift to you is because God, Jesus himself, is leaving you people who have the Holy Spirit responsibility over them to guard over your soul. And they have a very specific duty Two words here, shepherd, teacher, shepherd, teacher. He wants you thinking about pastor, teacher, because there's two ways you should be thinking about your elders. In this term of teaching you good doctrine, but also in this way of protecting you. Like in a shepherd would as he has a staff and the sheep are, are in the fence and he's looking out for wolves and he deals with wolves when they come in and he doesn't just let them tear his sheep apart 
Is this an important thing that the scripture teaches the churches? Well, let's, let's look at another passage. Let's go to Acts chapter 20, if you would. Got to go back a little bit. After the Gospels, the book of Acts, chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, drop down to verse 28. Paul, on his missionary journey, goes to Ephesus, and he's talking directly to the, to the elders, the pastors at Ephesus, as he's leaving, and they know they'll probably never see Paul again. Verse 28 of chapter 20. This is what Paul says to the elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves, right? So there you go, qualifications. Your life matters, your manner of life matters, your, quali- your behavior matters. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all of the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood, And then Paul says this in verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears and now I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I, I tell you, as someone who has been charged with the responsibility to oversee, to be an elder, I read that and it's very sobering to me. That's a pretty important duty. Let's look at another one. Matthew chapter seven. Let's see what Jesus said about this. Matthew chapter seven, and we're gonna drop down to verse 15. Matthew seven, verse 15, Jesus said, beware, beware, look out for false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, meaning they're not obvious. They look like you, they talk like you. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, the heart of the person, the ravenous wolves. You get that picture? Hungry wolves that are ready to tear something apart. And Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruits. Wait, 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 we got ravenous wolves coming in in sheep's clothing that look like me, talk like me, smell like me, but inwardly they're a ravenous wolf. It's like this trickery, it's this subterfuge how do I deal with this? Pastor, how are you gonna deal with this? What do you need to look out for? Jesus says this, you will recognize them by their fruit. Like a tree that produces something, go up to that fruit and pick it and look, is it rotten? Doesn't matter what they initially look like on the exterior, give it time on the inside. What is their fruit? And Jesus said, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good, 
bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. We come back to the book of Titus. And the very first thing Paul told Titus was you find men who meet these qualifications, or in other words, whose fruit prove that inwardly they are good because the type of men that must be leading my people that I obtained with my blood that I'm entrusting to are men whose life first proves that there has been an inward change. But there's something that must be dealt with, Titus, as you plant these men. I've been on Crete and I've seen what's already infiltrating the people. So, Here's what we're going to work through in just two verses. Here's what we're going to see. The pastors must be ready to deal with false teachers because of a few things. So the first thing is this. Back at Titus chapter 1, starting in verse 10, pastors must be ready to deal with false teachers because of their numbers. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, for there are many. If you look back at verse nine, he holds on to the trustworthy word. He gives instruction. He rebukes those who contradict it. Why is this so important? First and foremost, because there are many. Their numbers are many. Jesus warned us about it. We see false teachers all through the New Testament. Peter tells us that as time goes on, there will be more and more. Jesus said, look out for those in the future because they're constantly going to come. John said, the antichrist is coming And behold, there are many antichrists today. And because we have an enemy, Satan, as the book of Revelation tells us, he knows that his time is short, so he is breathing out wrath and rage against the world and specifically to God's church. At the very beginning of the garden, what was the first thing? He hates God. He hates God's image, which is you. And he hates God's ways and he hates God's word. So what did he do? He came to Adam and Eve in innocence and he deceived them and he tricked them and he used his teaching. He used unhealthy, bad doctrine to whisper in their ears to cause them to believe lies and go down a path that would lead to destruction. And Romans 9 tells us that because if they did that, Adam's sin, death began to spread to all men. Therefore, all have died because of that very beginning moment of listening to unhealthy doctrine. So how important is good, healthy doctrine? It is of utmost importance. So much so that God saved you and he in his sovereignty created a church, a body that he wants people to gather to and to come under leadership of pastors who've been entrusted with the oversight to feed you, but also to look out for you and protect you because this is so important. Their numbers, he says this, for there are many. Now, not to depress you. This isn't a witch hunt. This isn't something to make you start uh, feeling a lack of love for the person next to you because 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love believes all things. Love is not a skeptical person who thinks everyone's out to get them. That's not love. Love is someone, I'm gonna take you at face value. I'm gonna love you, give you the benefit of the doubt. So this isn't a, you know, let's see who, who it is, right? Pastors gotta be careful with that too, but they have to be alert. Look out, listen. They're there and we're told that they arise from among the numbers, from among the people within themselves. 
pastors must be ready to deal with false teachers because of their manner of life. Look at verse 10. He says, for there are many, and then he describes what their manner of life is like. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers. Do you kind of see what Paul's doing here? He spent so much time talking about the qualified leaders and their manner of life, their character, but immediately as he begins to talk about the false teacher, he begins to say, you'll know them by their fruit. For there are many, and here's their manner of life. They're insubordinate. They're unruly, which an elder is supposed to not be unruly. Empty talkers, their, their speech is not profitable. It, no, people don't leave edified. One of the greatest purposes of a pastor in preaching God's word, if he's doing it correctly, it edifies and it grows and it builds up the body. Empty talkers accomplish no such goal. Their words are empty. And then he says this, they are deceivers which is exactly what the serpent was. In the very beginning of the Bible, when God created the heavens and the earth, the serpent came and the first thing that he did was he cast deception. Did God really say? Which then created doubt in the mind, which then created a desire that was never there, which led them to disobey, which led them to feel disgrace. See the process? These men, these people, these false teachers, their manner of life is not becoming of someone who has grasped the truth. As Paul said, when he was willing to do everything for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, he's saying their manner of life proves that they have not taken hold of the gospel because it has not changed their life. Their very character, who they are, are these people who are, let's talk about this word, insubordinate, rebellious, unruly. It's the same word that was used for the pastor's child, that if he's ruling his own house well, his children won't be rebellious, insubordinate, out of control. No respect for authority in their life. Just in general, Romans, I mean, chapter three of Titus, Paul says this at the very beginning of chapter three, Remind them, hey pastor, remind the people to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Someone comes to you and they have all the right flattery words filled with empty talk. They look like someone, but their whole life is kind of like this anarchist type person ready to tear everything down, right? Because they're doing it for Jesus, right? They did the same thing when Jesus showed up. They wanted Jesus to be the anarchist who would overthrow Rome. And Jesus responds by saying, hey, pay taxes to Caesar. Pay pay taxes to Caesar? He's robbing us. That's wrong. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Because I did not come to overthrow the government. I came to save sinners who are already condemned on their way to hell and rebellion will not accomplish that. And I've left you an example that I want you to be conformed to. Your manner of life cannot be an insubordinate person. It needs to be someone who's filled with life, who understands that he's willing to have a spirit of obedience and submissiveness because at the core of the core of the rebellion against the gospel is a heart that's rebellious, that is skeptical of authority. And so you have these people whose lives are characterized by being insubordinate. Their words mean nothing, they're empty. 
Actually, that word empty talk can also have the idea of when the truth is actually spoken, their words speak to diminish what that truth is trying to say. You ever been around someone in your life? It's like, you know, uh, the scripture's being spoken or some type of spiritual truth and they diminish it with the way they respond, whether in humor or whatever it may be, right? It's because they're trying to diminish. It's empty. It's not profitable. It's tearing down, right? Pastors must deal with false teachers because there's many of them, because their manner of life is destructive, it's not becoming of the gospel. And then thirdly, look at this. He's gonna go, he's gonna go deeper now because of their impact. He says this. Verse 11. Well, let me, let me finish verse 10. Empty talkers, deceivers. And then he says this, especially those of the circumcision party. We're gonna put a little pin there. We're gonna come back to that at our last point. Verse 11, they must be silenced. Talking to pastors. Pastors, there's people who come up in all churches. Their motive comes from the devil just like him. And they're speaking things. Their life and their manner of life are these things and you must silence them. Why? Because of their impact because of their impact. Look what it says here. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. So Paul was obviously on the island of Crete and he saw the impact that these men had and he saw that whole families, people's lives and their homes were going down a path that was contrary to the gospel. Let's talk about that word upsetting. Upsetting whole families. It doesn't mean upset like I'm mad. They've gone around and they've made people mad. It's the word that means to subvert, overthrow. And what are they overthrowing? The authority that came through the apostles. And what authority did the apostles bring? They brought the authority from God. And what was the authority that God had? It was truth that was to be taught. And the churches were to continue in the fellowship and the doctrine of the apostles. And these men or these women, whoever they may be, who are going into households, are upsetting families. They're subverting. They're, they're secretly coming underneath and subverting the gospel. They're overthrowing the work that was done in the lives of these people, whole families from the gospel. And now these families are upset as in their faith has been unsettled. It has been damaged is the idea. Their impact is very destructive and divisive. Someone who is teaching the God, teaching the word of God, the word of God will change their life and they will grow. It will not create division. It will only create division when others around them reject the gospel. But in their own life, it will breathe love and clean conscience and the fruits of the spirit. Here, this is people whose whole families have been upset, overthrown. I want you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter two. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, these are the pastoral epistles. So all three of these that are kind of right next to each other, pastors read this and they get a lot of their motivation. They see the way Paul was speaking so directly to Timothy and Titus and they learn from it. This word is used in Timothy. He, Paul speaks to Timothy in chapter two, Drop down to verse 18. He says this, who have swerved from the truth. 
Same word, same thought. Well, give me the context, Jasper. What Paul's talking to Timothy, is this the same type of thing? Absolutely. Go to verse 14 with me in 2 Timothy. Paul says this to Timothy. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present, your, present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Hey, pastor, you devote yourself to the word of God and rightly dividing it, rightly handling it. Reject all these quarrelsome arguments that people like to have on the, outsteer, the, the exterior. He says it ruins the hearers. You devote yourself to teaching people the word And then he says this in verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble, right? Empty talk, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. What did did Paul say to Titus? Remember he said, the trustworthy word, which accords with godliness, but this type of empty talk, babble, irreverence will lead to more and more ungodliness. And he gives an example, and their talk will spread like gangrene. You see the image that Paul's trying to give a pastor to really help him to be urgent and alert to the reality of what remains among his congregation, ravenous wolves whose speech, their doctrine, what they're saying will spread like gangrene among people. And then he gives an example. He says, among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth. There it is. Their devotion to the truth has been subverted, overthrown, saying that the resurrection has already happened, right? There you go, bad doctrine. There's a truth that they're telling people and it's upsetting whole families. It's disrupting the church. Paul talking to Timothy, you must deal with this. Paul talking to Titus, you must be alert for this and you must silence these people. And then he says this, they are upsetting the faith of some, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. For the last 2000 years since Jesus ascended, and he left gifts to men and his church has been growing. There have been false teachers after false teachers. And I'll tell you what, it's not their message that has reached us today. It's the message of God that has endured and God knows who are his and he will protect you and keep you though you are still able to be affected and hurt and oppressed. And your faith, your faith is able to be shipwrecked, which is another example that happened in the book of 1 Timothy, the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he talked about people who had made a shipwreck of their faith. Why? Because they had devoted themselves to strange teachings, unhealthy doctrines. Very, very much reality that the church of God faces every day. Pastors must be ready to deal with these type of people because their impact is one that we cannot abide He says they must be silenced. Next week, Todd's gonna talk about a, a, a direct confrontation with these people. What does that confrontation look like if you look at verse uh, 12? Rebuke them sharply. 
Now, pastor, elder, your goal is not to go around and punch people in the face because we're still told to correct our opponents with gentleness. And if you look at the end of verse 12, he says there's a reason you are to rebuke them sharply because we care about them too so that they may be found sound in the faith. Sound, healthy. We want their faith their beliefs to be healthy as well, but because of their character and who they are, the only thing that's going to help them is a sharp rebuke because they're the ones who are going around with great confidence and assertions trying to teach people and upset whole families who have not been established by the Holy Spirit, who do not hold the qualities, who have no reason to be teaching what they're teaching, which brings us to the next reason pastors must deal with them. Their impact is upsetting whole families, but look at this, we must deal with them because their motives are wrong. Verse 11. Verse 11, Titus chapter one. He says, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain. You know, we're looking at a tree. We're analyzing the fruit. We pick it off. We sniff it. What is the motive of this person's life? And Paul is saying, there's a motive in the heart. It's a very selfish motive. Shameful, dishonest gain. And that word gain doesn't just mean money. Interesting, that correlates and that goes as an antithesis to how the pastor should be, right? A qualified man who's not greedy for gain. His motive is pure. His motive isn't money. His motive isn't, isn't self. And this goes beyond just money. It could be status. It could be a following. It could be the, the self-pleasure I get of, ha- of just taking people, asserting myself, and, and having them hear me talk. I just, want, I just want people to hear me and my thing and what I say and agree with me. Right? What is the motive? Here's what you know it's not. It's not pure. It's shameful gain. And there is no shortage of people today who stand up and they carry God's word They preach God's word, but their heart's filled with selfish motive and they just want your money. They just want you to follow them. And they'll tell you anything they can and manipulate you into feeling like if you don't give me money, God doesn't love you. He's not gonna help you. He's not gonna heal you. He's not gonna be with you. Anyone ever makes you feel like that, calls himself a preacher and the man of God, you run from them. Do you know one of the things that you're, we're gonna see here is their message. And I'm gonna point it out just a second, some of the messages that people carry that you can, you can clue into. That's how I know this is a false teacher. Their motive is shameful gain. I mean, if we ask ourselves, we all need, Jesus is our chief shepherd. He is the head of the church, Colossians 1 says. He is the chief shepherd. Peter talks to his fellow elders, and he talks about when the chief shepherd appears, but he's talking to them in the current day, hey, a fellow elder, I know the the job that you have, the responsibility, he's encouraging them and he's reminding them, hey, love the people, care for them. These are God's people. Look after their soul. Care for them. Don't domineer over them like the Gentiles do. You know the kind, compassionate, easy yoke of Jesus. You do that and give that to the people and you'd be willing to lay your life down for them. But what are we protecting people from wolves? It's not a physical staff we're beating people off with. It's the word of God that sharpens any two-edged sword that must be taught to you, which I find it ironic in God's sovereignty. We're doing a doctrine class starting next week. 
It wasn't like, hey, we're doing Titus, let's do a doctrine class. It was, man, God, what do you want us to do? We really feel like we should be devoting ourselves to doctrine. And then we feel like for the last year, we should be going through Titus and they're meeting and now it makes sense. Like, oh, God, your timing is perfect. Listen, your pastors need to devote themselves to good, healthy doctrine and teach it to you. So when we say there's seven weeks coming of a doctrine class, that's no small thing. Make it a priority in your life. Let us give you instruction for your benefit and for your care. Their motive is shameful game. And then finally, look at this. Pastors must deal with false teachers because of their message. Verse 11, he says this. They are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. What they ought not to teach. And now I want you to bring, take the pen that I gave you earlier and verse 10 where it says, especially those of the circumcision party. Now, let's talk about the the message that is not the gospel. The message that is not God's truth, which accords with godliness, that is out in the world. And tell you what, it is prolific. It is all over the place. It's everywhere. It comes in many shapes and sizes. You can find it everywhere. But there's only one truth There's only one healthy doctrine. There's only one way that you should be following. It is Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. But Jesus is also the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Every full revelation of God is wrapped up in his son, Jesus. You understand Jesus more, you understand the Bible more. You understand the Bible more, you understand Jesus more. Old Testament, New Testament, all a part of this beautiful, poetic story that God's writing in his good plan and pleasure to to vindicate himself over the devil that overthrew him, but use you as the people made in his image to shower with his love, his mercy, and his grace that he's not giving to the devil and his angels. And they hate you for it because you've sinned just like them, yet God has made a way for you to be redeemed. And you get to be part of the story of God being the ultimate victor And every single thing in your life, every single moment is an opportunity for you to say, God is more important than what I'm going through. He's more important than my feelings. He's more important than my shame. He is more, he is worthy of everything. Everything he's brought in my life, I'm gonna see it as a a way for me to exalt his name. Not to gain money, gain status, fight for what the world wants, be conformed to the world, do what the world's do, go back to my old ways that only left me as a slave to my passions and left me empty inside. God in his right timing at the perfect time shows up and he brings Jesus Christ, the word of God born by the Virgin Mary, grew up sinless, lived the life that we couldn't, died on the cross, rose from the dead and he sent it into heaven and he sent it at the right hand of God and he came in the flesh, 100% came in the flesh and he's 100% God. He and the father are one. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the father who is invisible. But when you see Jesus, you know what God looks like because he is God. And you must be saved because you're a sinner. And Jesus said that you're condemned already. You're not gonna find out if you're going to hell. All of the world is under the judgment of God and the wrath is being stored up. Romans one says ready to be poured out. It's ready to be, it's waiting to be, it's going to be. The, the, The gavel has fallen mankind is under darkness and under condemnation, they are going to experience the wrath of God. But a bright light has been shining ever since then in the corner of darkness. 
and all who turn their eyes to it and they walk to it and they get closer to it and they, as Acts 17, fill themselves to God and they realize that as I get there and I get closer to this light, the more it illuminates, the more my, my vision clears and I can see, I can see what I have been looking at and staring at as I've been leaving darkness and getting closer to the light is Jesus Christ. It's, it's this Christianity I've been hearing about, the Christianity I made fun of early in my life that I like kind of rolled my eyes at as I got closer and I started to find out the purpose of life, everything. It's true, it's him, it's Jesus, and I must surrender to my life to him because he has made a way for me to be saved and pulled out of that darkness and have my condemnation reverse to take the heart that's dead and make it alive. He rose from the dead. And the scripture says that, that if you confess with the mouth and believe in your heart that, that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this message has impacted my life and saved me. And now this is the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the message. But false teachers don't bring this message. Especially those of the circumcision party. They come into your home. They come to you and they make it about anything else but that. Something to do with here. Something you can see, tangible. You know, for the, for the circumcision party, it was the Jews who were coming into the church and telling people, you must get circumcised if you want to get saved. So Paul has to write to the Galatians and he says, listen, if you get circumcised... You make Jesus of no value because you're putting your faith in a work of man. Don't believe it. And they're upsetting the whole family, even even Peter showing partiality to these Jews. And Paul having rebuked Peter to his face openly before everyone because he's, he's confusing people. These false teachers come with the message and they teach what they ought not to teach. And it's something other than the gospel. The one that's popular in the world today that uses the Bible but abuses the Bible is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Uses verses and it twists and it uses empty talk. It uses flattery speech to try to convince you that this side of heaven is the life you should be living for and if you have enough faith and if you give enough money and if you do the right things, your pockets will be filled, your health will be perfect and you will prosper this side of heaven. And they have plenty of verses that they can use it to trick you with. All the while, their pockets and their prosperity is going up, yours goes down. And then when you're like, well, this doesn't seem to be working out right, then the message and the trickery comes at the last second to say it's because you don't have enough faith, you need to give more. It's all over the place. Sometimes it's overt right in your face, sometimes it's subtle. But the only message you should be devoting your life to is the one in which God gave up his only son for. And you must be given instruction and sound doctrine and understand it so that you're not like the, 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 the one who's kind of outside of the pack, who's still young and Satan's a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour and he will devour you how? With wrong teaching. Now, we live in a day, as a pastor, it's a nightmare 
because you feel this weight of responsibility to try to be the, to be the voice of truth in people's life and give instruction and not take advantage of and be, be willing to show yourself an example and, and teach and, and pray for and intercede for the body. But then you, you awaken your eyes and you say, man, I'm not just dealing with people I can see. There's, there's 10,000 teachers online that I don't know who my people are talking to and listening to. There's all these podcasts. There's all of these things. Like what is going into your ear and into your heart and making you the person you are, I'm telling you, the enemy is very zealous at trying to help you hear something that's contrary to God's word. How do you even know if you're listening to the right thing? Unless, unless, you think I'm gonna say, unless you have preachers that you listen to. It's not what I'm gonna say. Unless you hear the exhortation of Paul to Timothy, study for yourself. Study to show yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You get around a a preacher, the man of God, who tries to make you feel like you shouldn't study for yourself, right? Makes you feel like, no, 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 you you can't, you, you need to listen to what I say about it. Your pastors and your elders are no different than you. We come under the authority of this And if we neglect this, then we are in error and we must step down or other men who are elders as well see it, rebuke sharply to the face to gain and change or else silence because something's wrong and it's gonna end up hurting the whole church. You shouldn't be afraid to study and see for yourself and test everything. Don't just take things in. I mean, think about the people that influence us. I mean, can we just be honest? We live in an age where the people we look up to and we listen to and we devote our time, energy, and effort in TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever it may be to, YouTube time to, are people whose lives are filthy and filled with shameful gain, who are insubordinate who are empty talkers, who all they care about is themselves and they just want your views, they just want your support, they don't care about you and all they're giving you is things that appeal to your flesh and profit you nothing. And if this was the case here without internet, you better believe it's the case now. That was a little soapbox of me, a, a soapbox of mine that, that is challenging in my heart because I see the challenge today as a pastor. And I'm gonna stand before God one day and give an account for your souls. James 3, let not many of you become teachers knowing you'll give stricter judgment. Pastors must be ready to deal with false teachers and there's plenty of reasons why. So how do we, how do we end this? I wanna give you a challenge or an encouragement actually. The encouragement is this. God does not have grandchildren. He has children. The Holy Spirit lives inside of his children. The Holy Spirit is the comforter and the helper. And the Holy Spirit is one that will give you illumination. Do not be intimidated or believe the lie of the enemy that you can't understand this. God will help you. You start somewhere, start regardless, and you begin getting a rather regular rhythm of pouring God's truth into your heart because you know that the devil's truth is being forced in. I'll give you one more verse. 
the false teachers have an audience. Do you know who their audience is? It's the captive. Paul talking to Timothy, warning about false teachers. If you want to start somewhere, read first, second Timothy, and then Titus, you will be blown away by the emphasis and the urgency that Paul puts into dealing with this issue. Paul says to Timothy, command these things as well so that they may be without approach. But if anyone, well, let's make sure I'm in the right place. I'm in the wrong place. Let me find it. Bear with me. See, I've put myself in a position where I have to find it myself. I found it. It's 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy. Paul says this to Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says this, avoid such people. And then he gives this, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That's one of those verses where you're like, what does that mean? On the surface, it may sound more predatory sexual, but it has the idea of false teaching, going to people who are weak, who are unlearned, who are desperate for truth and taking advantage of them. False teachers will corner you, take advantage of you, and they will force you to give them their, your allegiance to them. Look out for them. And if someone's doing that to you and the church here at Summit, you be willing to speak directly to them. And know this, your pastors are on the lookout for it as well. We have a duty to deal with that if we see it, and we will, because we take it very seriously, and we want to care for you, feed you, but also protect you. Spend some time diving into this. Spend time in prayer and trust that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. One of the ways he does that is your own study, but the men of God he's put in your life to help guide you in this area. Let's pray. Father, I'm very much aware that when I get up and I speak about things that involve me, um, it, it, it's an uncomfortable thing. God, you would make your elders men who are humble, who are, though not perfect, confess sin, that you would work in our hearts, that you would keep us the men you want us to be, that our eyes would not turn to the left or to the right, and that you would help us to be the example you've called us to be but very, be very patient with us and merciful to us. Let us be overcome by your grace as well. And God, I pray that you'd help us here at Summit Church to hear and recognize your voice as the great shepherd and not let anyone who's motivated by the enemy, though they may not know it, they are being to pull people away to their own cause and to a gospel that's not truth and not good at all. Father, we need your help in these things from your elders to being a church just in general. Be with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.